Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Heart Success Podcast. This is the second episode in our cardio-oncology series. The previous episode, we discussed several chemotherapy agents and their cardiovascular toxicities with an oncologist. Today, we will be taking radiation and its effects on cardiovascular system with a radiation oncologist. We have a new guest today, a radiation oncologist, Brett Lewis, who currently practices at the Hackensack Meridian Hospital in New Jersey. Welcome to Hackens- uh, welcome to Heart Success, uh, Brett. Thanks a lot, Mahek. Glad to be here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for doing this. You know, we've been wanting to do a chemotherapy and cardio-oncology series, and we thought we'd started with some of the chemotherapy agents. And then when we were talking about this, Kaushal Parik, one of your colleagues, who works uh, with the oncology department, the medical oncology department, really made the suggestion and talked about radiation therapy, something we just don't talk about enough. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you do, Brett, and academically and outside of work, your likes, uh, what, what you like to do. Sure. So um, my name is Brett Lewis, and uh, I'm a radiation oncologist at uh, Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. It's part of the um, Hackensack Meridian Health Network. Uh, we also have affiliate, we have a, we have a new NCI designation, uh, in collaboration with, uh, Georgetown University. Um, and we have an ongoing collaboration with Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. I, uh, majored in physics as an undergrad at University of Florida and, um, subsequently, uh, went to Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. I did an MD and a PhD. PhD is in, uh, physical biochemistry, which, and, and ironically, I used isotopes to study things then. I mean, I guess you use isotopes in a lot of things, but, um, uh, you know, now I treat people with isotopes too. Uh, so I did my MD PhD. I was at Einstein. Um, and then I did two years of internal medicine training as a categorical IM before switching into radiation. That's where I found my, found my calling. Um, I trained at, um, Cancer Institute of New Jersey, which is now part of Rutgers University, also in New Jersey. Finished in 2010, board certified, and I've been practicing ever since. I've been at UNC. I've been at, uh, in a different uh, system in New Jersey, and, and and now I've been at Hackensack for six and a half years. Uh, mm-hmm. Very happy with the place and, uh, and and the care that we're able to provide. And I, and I met um, Kaushal, your 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 prior guest there also. Um, so I'm a radiation oncologist. I do mostly I do I do um, uh, I treat a lot of different conditions. We treat the very young all the way to the very old. Personally, I do a good amount of thoracic oncology, so I treat lung, mediastinum. I also treat breast. I do some CNS, the central nervous system, some head and neck, a lot of palliative work. We treat to palliate, we treat to cure, and we do all kinds of things. Um, and it's, it's a very rewarding field because we help all kinds of people. We, we contribute to cure, and we also palliate people who unfortunately can't be cured and are suffering for one reason or another. So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's, um, it's incredibly rewarding. And, um, outside, um, what do I like to do? I'm a, I'm a ham radio operator. Um, I have an FCC license to, uh, broadcast. Um, I like working on the house and, uh, playing with the kids. Sounds great. Welcome, Brad. Um, and you know, so going right into it, one of the discussions we had early on was, when we talk about radiation therapy, even amongst cardiologists, there is just never a lot of discussion about what type of therapy it was and details on how much radiation. And I think some of it comes from just lack of knowledge and exposure itself in medical school for most most internal medicine graduates. 
so maybe we could just start with the basics. What is radiation and, and what uh, does radiation mean when it comes to treating? Right. Radiation is what we're looking for in, in radiation is we're looking to deposit energy in tissue. And we, this is quantitatable. Um, instead of, you know, in, in, um, in medicine, we give milligrams of this or, you know, milligrams of that or micrograms. In radiation, we give joules per kilogram. So joules is, joules is a unit of energy and kilogram is the mass. So it's an energy density of, of energy deposited in tissue. And what we use to irradiate patients are either X-rays or gamma rays, which are photons, electromagnetic radiation, or particles. So we use electrons. Protons are in use and in increasing use. Um, and internationally, there are even um, heavy, heavy isotopes, but you'll have to go to Germany, Shanghai, um, for those kinds of things. Hmm. When radiation of one of those sorts um, strikes tissue, usually what happens well, the kind of kind of radiation we're interested in is what's called ionizing radiation. So a photon or an electron will come in, it'll interact with the matter, and an electron will get kicked out. There's a, so there's an oxidative event, and that causes damage to cellular organelles. What we're interested in in cancer therapy is is causing DNA damage. Um, so, you know, you get mitochondrial damage, you'll get Golgi apparatus damage. That stuff doesn't really matter to us. It's the DNA damage. And that damage happens really within a few milliseconds of the beam's incidence. That damage happens and it sits there. Now, the reason we use uh, radiation in medicine is for the therapeutic ratio. And that's because, um, normal tissues so when you when you cause radi- rate, uh, oxidative damage with radiation, normal tissues get damaged and cancer cells get damaged. The difference is that um, cancer cells are broken usually in a number of ways, and one of the ways they're broken is is in DNA repair. So a normal tissue, normal t- no, normal cells will have an opportunity before their next mitosis to correct their damage, and they mostly do so and go about their business. Cancer cells, on the other hand, will figure out that they're damaged usually around the time of the next attempt at mitosis. And they'll either undergo apoptosis or what's called mitotic catastrophe, where they just basically give up. Too much damage happened. They can't, they can't, they can't um, do the division and they just die. So uh, I always tell my patients, you know, uh, as bad as the side effects might get from the radiation, at least take heart, uh, so to speak, in yeah. the, the fact that the cancer cells uh, feel worse. Yeah. So that's, that's radiation. We use it because it kills cancer cells. And, um, and the, the clinical benefit there is in killing, killing can- cancer cells is there's really two, there's really two sort of general regimes where we want to kill cancer cells. One is where a patient has a cancer, the tumor's there, and we're trying to kill it. Or, and if we can't kill it, we're at least trying to shrink it. And, um, and then the other, um, the other scenario is where a patient has had a cancer, the cancer's gone, there's no evidence of disease, and we're interested in um, so-called mopping up. So giving a treatment that's going to kill, ideally, whatever cancer cells are remaining to minimize the risk of recurrence. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, radiation to the heart. 
and um, a couple of the a couple of the I think the most informative and interesting articles that are out there about this have to do with breast cancer treatments. And in and in that and especially because those women, so we cure so many patients with breast cancer now, they go on to live for decades and decades. They, they're going to live long enough to express whatever damage we might actually be able to cause. And, and like you mentioned, you know, a lot of the cardiac manifestations, the clinical manifestations of cardiac damage from radiation happen several years down the line. So when you're talking about radiation in your practice, I know there's broad terms like teletherapy and brachytherapy that are being used. I was wondering maybe you could just explain what they mean um, and, and uh, just for so we can have maybe a rough understanding of what, what they yeah. are. So teletherapy, um, so therapies, the, the therapy part is obvious. It's therapy. Tele means from a distance, like television, telephone. Um, so that's where, you know, the patient's lying on a table and a, and a, and a machine outside of the patient makes an x-ray um, or an electron or a proton beam, and that's used to strike the patient's tissue. That's called teletherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other the other option, uh, the other modal, one of the other modalities is brachytherapy, brachy from the Greek meaning short. So in that case, mm-hmm. um, we'll use a radioactive source like iridium-192, um, cesium, gold, palladium, actually little radioactive pieces of metal that either that will go into the patient's tissue and either stay there forever or stay there for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, uh, one more. The, uh, the other option is uh, radiopharmaceuticals, which are, um, which we've been using for a few decades and there's, uh, and, and there's increasing use even now where there are proteins, either antibodies or small peptides that are uh, where we have uh, bound uh, radioactive isotopes. So those can be targeted to specific either uh, receptors or, um, or or basket or beds in patients. And when we're talking about, uh, like we said, we're really discussing maybe chest chest thoracic cancers. Is it really usually the um, teletherapy that's more commonly used? Right. So I think that the I think that the cancer the, the radiation cancer treatments that are that are most relevant to to our conversation. Um, are the thoracic tumors and breast cancers. So for thoracic, lung cancers, esophageal cancers, especially GE junction, because that's right, that's typically right behind the heart. Mm-hmm. Mediastinal, so anterior mediastinal, um, uh, disease like thymomas, the thymic carcinomas, and, uh, and the breast cancers. Yeah. Those are the most relevant. So, you know, the other question that comes up is, one, how the radiation affects the heart, and then how much radiation is there a threshold to identify that is pathological even more so, you know, predictive of more development of cardiac disease down the line. Right. You know, when we, when we take radiation biology uh, classes in residency, one of the first things that we're told is that radiation does not cause a pathognomonic change. If you radiate some tissue, to the point of causing a problem with viability, which you're, you're going to see decreased cellular viability, decreased cellularity, increased fibrosis, and those are the pathologic changes. And you won't be able to look at that and say, well, that was necessarily caused by radiation. And that's probably true. It's probably true. And it's probably true from head to toe, almost no matter which tissue type we're talking about. Um, 
The next question you want to know, and this is this is really where a practicing cardiologist wants, you know, wants some detail, is how much radiation does it take to cause a clinically significant change? Let's let's do a broad strokes of what the doses are in radiation. Um, so I mentioned that it's joules per kilogram. That's the dose. That's a internationally recognized dose and a dose standard. And then and and the shorthand for it is gray. Capital G, lower Y, or centigray, little c, capital G, lower Y. And obviously, there's 100 centigray in a gray. So just to give you a sense of scale, if we're trying to treat, and I, and this, I have this conversation with my patients, too, and they ask me about, like, am I getting a lot of radiation? Am I getting a little radiation? Right. Um, I say, you know, if, if somebody comes in with a prostate cancer, they have a prostate cancer, and um, and we're going to treat it. And and it's still there. They haven't had a prostatectomy. There's a cancer. It's bona fide, and it's in, it's in there. And we want to kill it. We're going to give it eighty gray, or or eight thousand centigrade, or I'll tell patients, you know, eight thousand units, so we don't get bogged down in, in the letters. A lung cancer, we're going to give about six sixty gray or six thousand units. A breast cancer is going to get about get about six thousand units, and that's even. Despite the fact that most, despite the fact that most breast cancers are actually treated after lumpectomy or mastectomy, the patients don't have a, a cancer in there that we're trying to kill. We're mopping up, but we still give 60 gray. Um, that number is actually coming down um, in absolute terms, but that's that's another topic. And on the lower end, what are the, some of the simpler things that we do? Patients with hepatom uh, or splenomegaly, we can palliate with. 250 centigrade, so 0.25 gray, very low numbers. So we go from very low to very high. I think in review of the literature, so I think there's, there's, it's interesting because we've, so we've been, we've been treating patients with radiation for about a hundred years. And what's taught in residency is, is a, is a table of doses not to exceed and it was written by uh, uh, someone named Imami, E-M-A-M-I. Mm-hmm. And it basically says that in the 30 to 40 gray range, you can cause something called pericarditis. So we try not to give too much of the heart this 40 gray. What's interesting is that pericarditis is a problem, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's necessarily the most important problem that we have to worry about, especially in patients that we're curing are gonna, and they're, and, and they're going to have long-term follow-up. So the field is sort of evolving on what on what we should be looking at and what doses we should be using. But I'll give you I'll give you my take. Let's uh, let's get to breast in one second. Okay. Let's take the let's take these sites the sites that I mentioned, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what I think. Uh, which, which one I think uh, poses the most risk to the heart? Okay. So we talked about anterior mediastinum for like thymoma, thymic carcinoma. Unless it's a thymic carcinoma, actually the 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 Long-term survivals after thymomas are really good. So, so those patients are relevant, but unless the disease has a lot of, has drop mets where it's down on the pericardium and, and, or down on the pleural surfaces, an anterior mediastinal tumor is not going to get a lot of radiation. Similarly, most lung cancers, even treated definitively, even stage three lung cancers with mediastinal adenopathy, where we're going for, where we're going for cure and giving up to 60 gray, most of those patients are not going to get a lot of radiation to the heart also because the, the mediastinal adenopathy, which is the very central stuff, is all mostly superior to the heart. So 
We do watch the heart dose, but I'm not as worried about it. Also, patients with stage three lung cancers do usually have bigger fish to fry. The patients that I'm, that, that for the purpose of this conversation, I'm most interested in are the GE junction esophageal cancers or lower, lower third esophagus or GE junctions, because those tumors are going to get 50 gray and they're right behind the heart. And then the other whole uh, group of patients, the other cohort is the women really with left-sided breast cancers. Because as I said, you know, curates, if you, if you look on, um, if you look online, uh, cancer.gov, you'll find that the curates for a stage one breast cancer are, are, they'll quote like a hundred percent. Um, it's usually 95 plus percent cure rates. So these, these women, they're getting, you know, multimodality therapy, surgery, maybe chemo, maybe hormone therapy and radiation. And they're going to go on to live decades after. In that group, even though the heart may not get a lot of radiation, they're going to have many years to express, to express a problem. So let's talk about women getting radiation for breast cancer for a second. The way a breast is treated has been for many decades with a woman or a man, because men can get breast cancer. Usually uh, for every hundred women, there's a man that gets breast cancer. So the patient's usually on their back. They're on their back. They're um, facing up. They're on our treatment table. Their tor- torso is on a little bit of an incline. The ipsilateral arm is is out of the way. We make a custom mold to go behind the shoulders to keep the arm out of the way. And the beam is what's called a tangent. So the machine is an X is a big multi-million dollar X-ray machine and it makes an X-ray. And the first iteration of what an X-ray looks like coming out of the machine is a rectangle. You can make it wider or longer, but it's a rectangle. And if you're the machine and, and what it's going to do is it's going to enter the patient at the midline and it's going to come out at the mid-axillary line. And that's going to go from a little above to a little below the breast. And the other beam is going to do the opposite. It's going to come in on the mid-axillary line and exit at the midline on the chest. And those are called tangents because we're treating the chest wall tangentially. The problem is that the chest wall is curved and x-rays go straight. So if you draw a straight line from midline on the uh, midline to mid-axillary line, you draw that straight line, you're going to go through the chest. And if it's a left-sided tumor or left-sided breast, then you, you're running the risk of clipping the heart. And if you're the be- if you're the machine looking through the beam that you just made, as it goes through the patient, you'll see the heart creeping into the field. It used to be for decades that we had no way of compensating for that, and we just treated through patients' hearts. And the literature shows that there's an excess cardiac mortality in women who got it, in women who were treated to, for le- uh, after left-sided tumors as opposed to women who were treated to right-sided tumors. So clearly, I think the lower esophageal cancers, the GE junctional cancers, left breast cancers, these are the patients that seem to be at the higher risk for more cardiac exposure to radiation, really direct exposure to radiation and high degrees of radiation. The other question I have is when I'm looking at a report from a radiation oncologist, really from the perspective of a non radiation oncologists, are there particular things that I should be looking at in addition to the cytocancer and cytoradiation within these reports that might have additional clinical value? So with um, I, what I think you have to do is you have to look at the total dose that the patient got and ask if the, do- the total dose exceeded probably 25 to 30 grams. 
And then you want to know, is it possible that the heart got that dose? If a patient had a right-sided breast cancer and a left-sided heart, then they probably did not get much radiation to the heart. On a left-sided tumor, they may, if the, if the treatment summary that the radiation oncologist will always compose after a radiation course, uh, says that, that the patient got at least 25 to 30 gray, and, and you think the target, the target may have included the heart, then the next question is, uh, you may want to ask the radiation oncologist how much of the heart got 25 or 30 gray, and what part of the heart would that be? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that, that it comes down to is there's something we can do to, A, prevent develop, development of radiation-induced cardiac damage. The other thing also I want to talk about is the additional role of chemotherapy in, in these patients because we know that certain chemotherapies are are harmful and adding radiation to chemotherapy in certain certain cases, does that add to the damage? So to the first point, to be honest with you, once radiation is given, you know, it can't really be taken back. And there's not, I don't think there's really much that we can do to improve damage once it's happened. There's, um, it's, uh, tr- Trental, which is Pentof, uh, Pentof, I can't even pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trental has been given, um, with some effect. Here he is referring to Pentoxifiline or Trental which we are more familiar in cardiovascular medicine. It is a phosphodiesterase inhibitor, which subsequently reduces platelet and erythrocyte aggregation, enhances fibrinolysis, lowers viscosity, and improves microcirculation. And hyperbaric oxygen has been given in other, in, in, in other areas in radiation. Um, if somebody gets osteoradionecrosis of the jaw after radiation therapy for head and neck cancer and they're having trouble healing, or if they get a non-healing ulcer from radiation, hyperbaric oxygen can help. So that I, I don't really think that's been looked at in, in, in cardiac health. And then, uh, the other question is, uh, is about chemotherapy. So, you know, there's some, there's some well-known problematic actors in chemotherapy. That can affect the heart, most notably, to my mind, adriamycin and Herceptin. The good news is that for breast cancer, we almost never give chemotherapy with radiation. Now, many patients will get chemotherapy and radiation, but usually sequentially, not concurrently. There is such a thing as radiation recall, which means that they were given sequentially, but it's, but one recalls the other and can, one can potentiate the one, one can sort of recall the effect of the of the other modality that was already given but in patients with um, esophageal cancers those are actually usually treated with combined modality concurrent chemoradiation so the question is if you have a chem- if you have a radiosensitizing chemotherapy and you're giving radiation to the heart what does that do to how you should interpret the report so as I mentioned, the, the radi- a treatment summary is something the radiation oncologist is always going to write. It's, it's, it's essentially mandatory after radiation courses. It should go to referring, um, the referring, it always goes to the referring provider, um, and, and it's, uh, available to anybody, anybody who wants it. You know, if I say that 25 gray is the number that I want to keep, I want to, I want to keep as little heart getting 25 gray or more. Um, and I add chemotherapy to the mix, then what I probably want to do 
is say, well, chemotherapy is going to take some of the heart that got 20 gray and make it feel like it really got 25 gray. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking for how much of the heart got 25 gray, maybe I'll drop that number to 23 or 24 or something like that. And I'll try to include that. Um, I'll try to include that in my query to the radiation oncologist. On the other hand, if um, adriamycin or herceptin cause a notable, a noticeable decrease in, say, LVEF, then the then the same amount of radiation may be felt more by that by a given patient. Fair enough. Uh, all the doses that we're referring to are cumulative doses. That's the total radiation after multiple. total radiation. Radiation is usually given once a day, five days a week for weeks and weeks. Yeah. And say say someone's getting um, let's say they're getting fifty nine forty. Well, keep the math simple. Yeah. Let's say they're, let's say they're getting six thousand units of radiation. Right. Uh, they're usually getting for lung cancer. They're usually getting two hundred two hundred units or two hundred centigrade per day times thirty for a total dose of six thousand. Sure. And I and I wouldn't focus too much on the individual doses. Um, there are some second order sort of um, effects, but I would uh, just concentrate on the total dose. Once these patients are cured, which a lot of these patients are, and now are out there in the community. Early on, really without any cardiac manifestations, I think primary care doctors, maybe medical oncologists are following these patients. Uh, when should we be involving maybe cardiologists and other cardiac providers into their care? Right. So I think that, I think that to answer that question, would, would it would be a, a good time to go to literature because we'll get some actual numbers. I think there are four very relevant um, articles in the literature on on um, the most useful endpoints. So the most useful endpoints to talk about are death, so cardiac death. Are we killing patients? Um, and I had alluded to that before, that there is excess cardiac mortality, and I want to put a number on that so people have a sense of scale. Second thing is, are we causing cardiac perfusion defects, which is, I think some of the some of the most um, interesting and insightful work that I've seen on the topic, and I'll share those I'll share those two articles with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one is: Are we causing decrements in left ventricular ejection fraction? And when do those changes happen? So, if we start at the top with cardiac mortality, because when we talk to patients, they want to know, like, oh, I don't. I, they know they don't want their heart irradiated, and they're most worried about dying. The Largest collection of data that we have on the topic is from the EBCTCG. That's the Early Breast Cancer Trialists Collaborative Group. They published something in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in 2017 where they looked at 40,000 women who had been treated in 75 trials. The the time frame matters. So were these people treated in the 1960s or were they treated more recently? For this for this article. The median treatment year was 2010, so this is a pretty modern series. And the median heart dose was 6 gray, 6 gray. So when I said before that the, the doses and the measures that we should be using are evolving, they use this thing called the median heart dose, which I, real, I personally don't love because I think you can get the left end trip, the, the, the tip of the LV can get 25 to 30 gray and get damaged. And if the patient has a, a massive cardiomegaly, you'll drag down the average or the median heart dose to some low number. It'll look like you did a great job. But actually, those are the patients 
that can afford that damage the least. Mm -hmm. So they had a median heart dose of six gray, just for reference. And what they found was they had actually data on women who had radiation and women who didn't have radiation. These are breast cancer patients. They basically found that for all cardiac mortality events, there were 361 events per 100,000 women years versus 304 events per 100,000 women years. And that's if you had versus not if you didn't have radiation. So those are really big numbers. What I think is more relevant when I'm in a, when I'm in the clinic talking to a patient is if we divide those numbers down and say per, let's say per 50 woman year, how many events are we actually talking about, whether they get or didn't get radiation or if they got it, was it right versus left? Because I think if I have, even if I have a 40, let's say I have a 40 year old woman in my clinic, I'm going to, we're going to cure her breast cancer probably. And she's going to live to be 90. That's 50 years. So over the next 50 years, what are her odds of having a cardiac mortality event? And the answer is it's 0.18 if she had radiation and 0.15 events if she didn't. So it's there. It's real, but it's not a very big number either way. So just to put a sense of scale on it. The next thing is clinically significant changes in the heart, whether it's a a, um, a, a perfusion defect that you can find by SPECT um, or whether it's an, an ejection fraction. So let's do the SPECT next. Mm-hmm. So Larry Marks is the chairman of radiation oncology at UNC. And in 2003, he published something in, we call it the Red Journal. It's called IJROBP, International Journal of Radiation Oncology, Biology, and Physics. And um, he looked at 69 women um, who had had, or 69 patients who had radiation to the left side, and they were studied with cardiac spect before radiation and at six-month intervals thereafter. So at, at zero, six, 12, and 18 months. And what he found, what they found were um, defects where the radiation happened. And their working hypothesis was that it would take about 25 gray to cause the damage. And that's why I keep coming back to this number. So I, I think that's about the right number also. They found that there were no defects, no new defects observable uh, in the RCA territory or the circumflex. And there were defects found in the LAD. They happened by about six months after radiation, and they persisted at least as long as 18 months. So these are changes, and it's a good question about whether they're healing after the fact. Yeah. A, a, a follow-up study was published in the same journal in 2017, utilizing techniques, again, with patients getting radiation to the left side, but techniques to limit the amount of radiation going to the heart that's um, that's almost broadly applicable to the, to the, to the kinds of things that most radiation oncologists are doing in the clinic. And they found that for their cohort of patients where no portion of the heart was getting 25 gray, they also had a median heart dose of only 94 centigrade, so very, very low number. They found that zero patients had new perfusion abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So the relevance of those two studies is that we can see cardiac perfusion defects if we look by spec and Radiation is getting to be good enough now that we can avoid causing that problem. We basically know how to do it. 
why we believe that most of these coronary artery disease and even microcirculatory coronary disease that develops with radiation becomes clinically relevant several years out. You know, the number 5 to 10 years comes up all the time post-radiation when we talk about looking proactively for coronary disease in some of these patients. It does, however, seem, based on the first study that you mentioned, that you may be able to see some of these defects as early as six months post-radiation. Again, they, they stopped the study at 18 months, so we don't know if these defects persisted. Some of this data suggests that you may, if you use sensitive enough markers, detect coronary disease or perfusion defects as early as six months post-radiation. And then the, the last article that I think is, is um, relevant to talk about today is something that came out of, in, uh, I think it was done in India. Uh, it was published in Heart Asia in 2015. And these, and it was done by uh, uh, Miriala, M-I-R-I-Y-A-L-A. Um, and they looked at patients who were getting radiation therapy for squamous cell carcinomas of the esophagus. They got chemo radiation and they were treated to 56 gray. Now we usually, that's a little higher than what we usually do here in the States. We usually give about 50 gray for this, but it's not that far off. And what they found was that even, and, and they followed LVEF by MAGA yeah. and they found that the LVEF showed a 6% decrement during the course. And they also found that the right ventricular ejection fraction went down by 6%. Yeah. And that's, it was toward the end of the course, but but it was it was before patients had even completed. So it should be clear from all of this, from from these studies, that radiation probably does cause a a small cardiac mortality problem, but it can also cause clinically relevant functional abnormalities, either with with either you know visible either with SPECT or with um, or with LVEF or MUGSI. Thank you so much for walking us through these different aspects and these different studies. These are all really great studies and, and really they highlight that radiation-induced myocardial damage can be detected as early as really towards the end of treatment or soon after. Additionally, we know that several effects of radiation, be it on coronary disease or myocardial disease, valvular heart disease, or pericardial disease or conduction disease tends to occur several years down the line. So certainly hope to see more long-term data coming out of these studies and the effects of radiation on, on myocardial complications and cardiotoxicities. So I think there's a lot of interest in the field, again, reignited with this field of cardio-oncologists everywhere too. And so much, so many advancements we've seen in cancer therapy in the last decade that, that hopefully over the next few years, we'll see more long-term research come out. Um, the other thing that I would say is that if you want to know whether your patient is at risk for radi- having gotten radiation damage from a radiation course, what I think you should do is uh, contact the radiation oncologist, mm-hmm. obtain the radiation summary, ask them how much radiation the heart got, mm-hmm. um, ask them specifically if any portion of the heart got 25 gray or 30 gray or more, 
And if they can tell you what portion of the heart it was that got that radiation, because that's probably the most clinically meaningful item. You know, if you, if you read a radiation summary, it's, they're not very interesting. I mean, I, we write them. I write them all the time. All they say is between this date and this date, the patient had 30 treatments and this, they got this total amount. It's not going to give you the information you want. Yeah. Um, but if you ask, they can send you a screenshot that shows what portion of the heart got the dose level you're interested in. Yeah. And then you can take that and, and, um, and take that back to the clinic and decide whether the patient needs a study. No, this is, this is great. And, and this is something I'm going to take to my practice as well for patients previously treated breast cancers or some of these thoracic cancers. Try to get this information and put it in my notes as well so that it's there for me and other care providers to, to, um, actually see and put into context into the. And I think it's also important to say that, um, uh, you know, we treat all, all, um, different parts of patients with, uh, radiation therapy and yeah. not everybody is going to have a cardiac decrement from it. Uh, I think it's, it really matters, um, what part of the body was treated. You know, if we treated a skin cancer on the shin and there's no cardiac dose. Oh, you know what? The other thing that's actually interesting, we didn't even talk about this is, um, the, uh, the dose to pacemakers. Do you have any interest in hearing about that? Yeah. I mean, I know there's issues where you can get wound issues and, and, uh, healing issues once you're radiated and the actual pacemaker malfunctions. Right. In cases. We talk about it in one of the cardio oncology episodes where we go over arrhythmias. Okay. But I'd love to get your opinion on it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the manufacturers, so I've read the manufacturer inserts on, on a few different pacemakers and they usually say that the lifetime dose that a pacemaker can take is about 500 centigrade or about five gray. So if I'm giving someone a 60 gray for a left upper lobe lung cancer and they have a left sided pacemaker or AICD, I run a risk of killing that device. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the patient is, depends on an AICD or a pacemaker for their, for their, uh, staying alive, uh, we absolutely take that into account in the clinic. We will interrogate a pacemaker before and after a course and in the middle to make sure we're not doing anything. And we also, um, try to keep the dose below 500 centigrade. I think 500 centigrade is probably the number at which circuit boards start to malfunction with radiation. Um, so we do, we do take that into account. One of these days when I get a chance, I'm going to take a look at the package insert on these devices to see if these guidelines have changed over the years on, on whether or not uh, they're more resistant to damage from radiation. Thanks for bringing that up. A lot of the literature that you brought up was published in radiation oncology journals. Of course, I'm more used to reviewing and looking for some of the latest updates in cardiac journals. Certainly, this brings up the need to collaborate with your radiation oncologist and combine knowledge to to come together and, and help your patients. Thank you so much, Brett, for coming on our podcast and teaching us so much about uh, radiation and its role in cardiotoxicity. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate your, I appreciate your invitation. Thank you all for listening. We've got two more episodes after this where we talk to cardio-oncologists and talk a little bit more about management of cardiovascular disease in these patients.
If you enjoyed our episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and give us a high rating, as it helps other listeners find us. You can leave your suggestion for topics, critiques, things you think we can do better. You can email us at heartsuccessteam at gmail.com. You can actually find us on our website at www.heartsuccess.info. Our website now also provides links to all the podcast providers where you can listen to this episode. You can find us on our Facebook page at Heart Success Team, or you can always reach me on Twitter at CardioBro. Bro. <laughs>